0: Welcome to the Ideas Can't Wait podcast. This is your host, Frank. In here, I'll interview some of the brightest young entrepreneurs that started their business in their early 20s. I will uncover their story of how they get started, their struggles and success, and how they view the future as young visionaries of this generation. Welcome to another episode of the Ideas Can't Wait podcast. Today, I had the privilege to interview Eric He's a CEO and co-founder of Sanctuary Sneakers, the leading sneaker price aggregator that has raised over $150,000 to build predictive analytics for future sneaker prices. Eric has one of the craziest stories in his early life. He has dropped out many times during elementary school and high school. Somehow, he had a huge awakening. He turned his life around, learned how to code, and dedicated his life to building businesses um yeah so why don't you tell me uh, just very shortly about who you are and then what you're doing
1: yeah so i'm eric i met frank last month at an entrepreneurship organization sort of conference pitch competition kind of thing i grew up on the west coast of canada a town called victoria i guess i'm in america so no one knows that is. In, in canada everyone knows where victoria is so i grew up there i was there till i was like 17, 18, moved to Toronto to go to school, studied computer science and economics, started Sanctuary like my second second year there during the beginning of the pandemic. That's kind of like the the resume cliff notes version. In between then, I didn't really grow up an entrepreneur at all. I grew up not very interested in school or much of anything so I dropped out actually like I think I stopped going for initially when I was in elementary school I stopped going to school for a time I I got back into school and obviously you don't miss that much because it's elementary so it was fine but then I basically dropped out of middle school again where I started going to like this kind of alternative school which I didn't really go to school ever and then I had to get back into middle school again but once I got back into middle school after that sort of period of not doing anything for I guess four months I was kind of not necessarily content but I was accepting of myself, just never doing anything with my life. But after that, I was kind of like, well, there's not really a need to accept that. I'm just going to try and build some important things. And so that's when I kind of decided that I wanted to found companies and I wanted to build things and I wanted to just sort of have a more significant impact of my life. So I switched schools, switched school districts, had to go to like a different neighborhood and stuff to go to school, got into sort of like a more academic school and got really into programming around then, started learning to code, started getting involved with a lot more things at school, got really passionate about the environment and climate, which is where I intend to end up in terms of entrepreneurship, but got more into that, started doing much better in school, kind of turned my life around a bit, and then ended up actually writing, building sort of not my first necessarily company, but my first big project basically combined the the visual style of Google Maps with the with the functionality of Yelp, and we released that myself and Jason, who's one of my co-founders at Sanctuary, when I was in I think eleventh grade or maybe twelfth grade, and then that actually got me scholarships to to go to U of T, which is uh-huh. kind of like the best school in Canada for computer science. And I figured Toronto would be sort of like the hub for technology and starting companies, and I would meet people there who I could start stuff with. So that's why I went out to Toronto. Then moved out to Toronto, figured I should learn how to write code at bigger companies before I start writing code for my own. So I've done a bunch of internships, interned at like five or six different tech companies, largely in like financial technology or some AI companies some crypto companies, stuff like that. But again, the goal has always been to found companies. So when the pandemic started and I got kind of like my first big sort of idea of something that I really wanted to build, I just put together a team and we've been building that for the
0: past two years now. Thank you so much for sharing. The your entire life trajectory, and and I want to go back to, you know, sort of the very beginning. You said you dropped out of elementary school, and and I was wondering when you first attended elementary school, what was your perception about school, and and did you really enjoy the process or you didn't? At that early age, I would imagine a lot of kids were just being told to to do what to do. So what was your experience, and what were you thinking at that young age?
1: I hated it. I really did not enjoy school at all, and I didn't. Obviously, when you're like, I don't know how old you are in like fourth grade, I was either in like third or fourth grade, I was very young, not young enough to really understand the implications of my decisions, but certainly old enough to just refuse to do something and realize that I don't have to do it. And I was just really like sad. I don't know. I'm I'm generally a pretty like melancholic person. And at that time, I was just really not doing well at all. And school made that quite a bit worse. I really didn't like going. I really didn't feel like I belonged there. I wasn't good at it, obviously, because I didn't put in any effort, but I was like very much holding the belief that it just wasn't a place for me to be. And so I kind of just stopped going because I was like, I hate it here. I'm not going anymore. And it wasn't any more long-term than that.
0: Well, that that's crazy. I heard a lot of story about people dropping out of college, dropping out of high school, <laughs> but I never, it's the first time sort of I heard people dropping out of elementary school. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: but, you but, can't really like drop out because they have to just accept you back. Right. So I just like went yeah. into the next year. I probably only missed like a couple months, maybe. But yeah. like, when you're that age, that's like half your life or not really, but it's a very significant length of time to not be going to school. It definitely did you, didn't benefit me to, to not be there.
0: Yeah, I, I just want to understand, you know, did you not like the courses that they're giving you? Or you, did you not like your classmates? Did you not enjoy the the notion of going to school? What part of it made you hated it?
1: I, I don't even think it was necessarily school entirely. I was just really unhappy with my life. And my life, a large part of it was spent in school and not having the mental capacity to realize that it wasn't actually the school causing it. It was just my unhappiness. I kind of associated it with the school. And I felt like there was definitely I felt really like it was unfair to kids. To be at school you know I, there was okay. definitely like a very authoritative position because when you're that age you can't really make decisions for yourself you kind of need right. to be chaperoned from place to place but i really didn't like that and so i got in like quite a lot of trouble in elementary school and a lot of the teachers really didn't like me and so it kind of i don't know made me feel quite pessimistic about myself and so okay. obviously i wouldn't want to go somewhere but it didn't make me feel like i was right. a worthy person
0: Right. And, and what was your conversation with your parents like? Because every parents want their kids to do well. And at that point, probably, is there any conflict with your parents? And how did you deal with that?
1: Yeah, so I had a pretty like rough relationship with my parents for a lot of my childhood, just because I was like, not a good kid to have. Yeah, and I think any parent would be quite frustrated raising someone right. like me. It wasn't really a set conversation. Like it was never said, like, I'm not going back to school. But yeah. I think at the time, I just had my appendix removed. I had had some sort of surgery and I just like didn't really come back after that. Like normally no. you can recover in like a few days and go back to school, but right. I just didn't do that. Right. And so I guess there was kind of this point because I went back eventually, right? And they didn't yeah. have to force me to go back. I'm, I'm sure they would have forced me eventually, but I think at some point they were like, we just don't want to force him to do this when he clearly really doesn't want to. And so they gave me like time to come to that realization myself, I guess, because after a while when you're a kid and you're not in school, you're like, wow, there's really nothing to
0: do at all.
1: So so I kind of just went back after that.
0: Yeah. But, but you mentioned you dropped out again in, in middle school. So there was a period that you were actually in school or you're just like, you know, I'm here, whatever. And and what happened in, in, in middle school?
1: Yeah. So that was a different story. Basically, I think this was after seventh grade at the end of it. I still really hated school and I was a very, very poor performer. So I believed fully that I was just really stupid. And at the time I kind of was like, I I was not capable of getting any good grades. I remember I got, I think an 80% on one of my tests in middle school. And the teacher pulled me out of the room and was like, how did you do this? I was like, what do you mean? And they're like, what what did you do? How did you cheat? How did you get this mark? And I was like, what do you mean? Like I just did the test and I was like, that kind of stuff, obviously, when you're like 13 or 12 or 14, whatever that age was, you don't really have the ability to to sort of process that kind of stuff and see that it's not necessarily a reflection of who you are. So you kind of just subconsciously take that in to be to be like, yeah, I'm not someone who can get 80% on a test. Like they think I cheated because that's something that would happen. This was a fluke. right? And so I didn't do very well in school. I really didn't like being there. And I didn't see my, my parents didn't see me graduating at all. They didn't think I was going to graduate school. So they kind of suggested and I was very happy to go along with it. Just going into like alternative school. So it was like this brand new school that had just opened with like no curriculum, no courses, whatever. Like they would get you a high school diploma, but you wouldn't really take any formal courses. And so like, okay, I'll try it out. Clearly school isn't working. But then I got to this other school and that's what I would consider as having me dropped out because within about a week, I realized that I'm not doing like any learning of any sort. I wasn't like taking any courses. I wasn't do like I would go to a building sometimes that was like called a school and like... I don't know hang out with people really is because basically it was it was a high school right so I, I right. skipped 8th grade and went into high school so the people I was hanging out with were like 17 18 I think maybe even a little bit older cuz it was like alternative school and stuff but at that point I just kind of stopped going to that as well I would kind of go to that like when I felt like it and and again at that point I really wasn't doing anything it took me about 4 months to be like what am I going to do after this okay. you know like if I'm going to be alive how am I going to sustain myself like this if I, you know, don't have my parents to rely on right? Yeah,
0: yeah. I, I want to go back to the story that you, you just mentioned in, in the seventh grade. So you did have a, a time, there's a test that you got 80%. Did you surprise yourself that you got 80? Did you expected it? I didn't really care. To be honest, was- I remember <laughs> like, grades were not terribly
1: important to me. I was surprised that I did that well. I mean, I would do it now and again on some things. But like, I don't know. It didn't really have a positive impact on me. It didn't really have a spark like, oh, I could do well if I actually tried. Because at the time, it just didn't really like it just seemed like something that happened randomly because it didn't feel like. I think one of the big sentiments I had at the time was that things were just out of my control. Like my brain was just my brain and I couldn't really change the way I thought or the way I feel or the way I process information and that kind of thing. And so me getting a good grade or a decent grade like once just was just something that happened. You know, it didn't necessarily signify anything more than that.
0: You mentioned the teacher was questioning you. Do you think that had a big impact on the way that you think? Did you think other people's perception about you did change the way that you, you know, look at yourself or being self-aware?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. When you're that young, your perception of yourself isn't really defined at all because you don't really have a self. You're changing at such a fast rate that, you know, every day you're kind of someone new or every few days you're like, adopting new personalities adopting new traits whatever and so the, the opinions that people have of you you can't really definitively say whether they are or are not correct and you don't really have necessarily as strong a sense of self as you do when you get a bit older mm-hmm. and so having other people have this negative perception of me I kind of just lived up to it you know I think that's the case for a lot of people in those sort of kind of situations where like if people believe you're not going to achieve things then you just won't. Because yeah. you're not like mature enough to be like, Oh, I'm just going to prove them wrong. Like that doesn't define what I'm capable of. So at the time, really, what people thought of me was what I thought of myself, because I had sort of the same things. And they weren't terribly wrong to think that like, as far as I had demonstrated as a person, that was my potential. And that was sort of the cap of what I could achieve.
0: Mm-hmm. But, but but I guess you prove them wrong at that point And you prove <laughs> you prove yourself wrong. I want to learn more about what, what what was the question that you were keep asking yourself that really demotivate you about life and and just working at the time
1: yeah so I think I've always been kind of nihilistic about things and it's just a different way to harness it when I was younger I definitely felt a lot more like there was no point in anything because we are going to die and whatever we don't know what happens next in the end nothing anyone ever builds matters because it's all going to crumble anyway and so I had this very negative perception like if it doesn't matter why would I do anything you know, because it's like, what's the point? But then you could kind of I guess I kind of shifted that perspective around without necessarily changing the underlying belief, because I still kind of feel that way. Mm. But it, it was like the, that underlying belief that things don't matter is the same. But the. It, it changed from like things don't matter, so I'm not going to do anything to things don't really matter, so I could do anything and I may as well. Here, that's really you know? powerful yeah like it's i don't know it's kind of like if you mess up and you fail and your life is a complete waste it doesn't really matter that much like so you can take bigger risks than people think right because people take life very seriously and i think it's important to take life seriously but at the same time it's like it doesn't really matter you know so i kind of took that view that was originally holding me down i kind of eventually just used that to just do more cool things
0: Yeah, right. And and I believe have a clear memory of when was the transition started to happen? Because you mentioned you, you know, grade, grade 11, grade 12, you're already starting building project and and you're starting to bring your life back on track. Do you remember when was that? And do you know what exactly changed at that time?
1: It's really hard to say, like, I wish there was some defining moment or like cool story to have it, but I don't think there was. I think I was just very unhappy for a very long time. And I realized that I didn't want to continue existing that way. And so it was kind of a gradual process of like, okay, I don't want to be a high school dropout or a middle school dropout. I should get through middle school at least. So my first step was to like re-enroll in school. And then I was like, well, I've been working on this assumption that I just can't do well in school. What if I just like try at school? What if I stop wasting all my time and actually do some schoolwork? What would happen theoretically? And so I put in a bunch of work and lo and behold, middle school is not that hard. I did pretty well. And I was like, okay, well, now I can do that so I can get good grades. And I had assumed I was going to be going to like sort of one high school that followed the path that I was on that was sort of a lot less aligned with my interests. I was like, well, why do I have to go to that high school? Why can't I just go to a different one? like what's preventing me. And so I looked into it and it really wasn't that hard to switch schools. So I did. And I just switched schools and it was fine. And I was like, okay, well, like these are the people I know now and the people I hang out with. What if I just start hanging out with different people? What if I just get to know new people and like explore new things? And I just did it. And I was like, at that point, I was like, my alternative was just dying or just like being a complete bum. So it's like, what do I really have to lose? And because I was at that point, I would just take risks and just like do things and just see what happens. And eventually they worked out, right? So it kind of gradually, like I asked myself bigger and bigger questions, just like what I was capable of, what I could do. It's like, okay, so I can get good grades. Why can't I, you know, get my first job? Why can't I just send out 20 resumes and go every weekend door to door at a bunch of different businesses and see where I can get a job? And so I did that. And then it's like, okay, well, you know, what do I want to do ultimately, With my life, it's like okay, I like building things. I like to create things from scratch and like have something there that wasn't there before. And so, looking into the way that people do that, it's like okay, I should learn how to write code. And then, so I tried that. I had tried that previously because learning learning to write code was, was quite challenging. And so that took me a while, but you know, I got that done as well. I learned to write code, and I was like, okay, I'm passionate about the environment. And another thing that made me feel really down was like the climate situation. I think a lot of people can really relate to climate anxiety, having this like underlying looming thought in your mind not only like oh we're all gonna die but like we're all gonna die maybe kind of soon you know like we could run out of water we could run out of breathable air we could run out of trees the bees are dying you know there's all these horrible things
0: yeah
1: and it it went from being like this this view where i was like ah it's these big corporations we can't do anything about it so like why not become a big corporation and then do something about it and when i thought about that when I had this real sort of climate induced motivation to become someone who can really change the world in that sense, that's when I started to like be like, okay, I need to build companies and get a lot of shit done here.
0: You went through the entire process of self-actualization and proving something, not necessarily to anyone, but to yourself, that you're capable of something. And you took baby steps. Do you think that's That was like your confidence keep getting built up or are you just starting to, to know more about who you are as yourself? I think it was...
1: It's not so much confidence getting built up like that's a part of it, but it was also knocking down assumptions about what people are and how brains work. Because I used to believe very strongly in like the this idea that a lot of people have that like I'm not a math person. You know, people right. say that all the time. They're like, oh, oh. I, I would like, like to write code, but I'm just not a math person or I'm not a computer person or I'm not good at that. And I had that belief, right? Like, oh, I'm not a math person. And eventually I was like, there is no fucking such thing as a math person. Like, that doesn't exist. (laughs) And so I kind of discarded that notion. And then I kind of discarded a lot of things like that where it's like, now I'm at a point where I don't believe in intelligence. Like, I don't believe it exists. Like, people are smart at a given point in time. But some people you'll meet, they're like, oh, I'm dumb. I can't do that. I don't believe that's true at all. I think your brain is like a very malleable thing. And there is some leeway given how you're born and your genetics and whatnot. But I think that, like, your level of, quote, unquote, intelligence is basically the result of your own work into putting into learning stuff and gaining the ability to learn faster and some people are definitely advantaged and they'll get kind of put in this position early on where they have that self-belief and based on that belief they'll take it they'll start getting better grades earlier on which fulfills them with this self-belief that like then propels even more so it's kind of this like upward trajectory of their life or eventually they're like oh yes i'm just a very smart person but then there's people like myself who are on the other end of that where it's like you start out kind of not performing very well. And for whatever reason, before you've even developed consciousness, you develop this idea that you're not that smart and that you're not someone who does well in school. And then the same way that it can be an upward slope for people who have a good start, for people who have a bad start, it goes down. Right? And so by the time you get to an age where you're like you know, 14 or 15 and you can make bad decisions for the first time or really bad decisions, you're going to make them because those are the beliefs you have. But it's not because you're stupid. It's because your brain was just raised in a certain way and you can like change that that brain patterns or those brain patterns that you have, you know?
0: How did you come to that realization? Yeah. Just realizing that
1: stuff was only impossible because it seemed that way.
0: The perception of it, right? Yeah.
1: Once I did something that I thought I wouldn't be able to do, it kind of like propels you forward a bit. You're like, okay, well then what else am I thinking? Like, oh, that's just out of the cards for me that I am capable of doing. Like, cause there was a lot of things that I really didn't think I'd be able to do. That I've done. And you know, obviously for the future, like I am at a point now where I'm like content with the progress I've made in life. I'm not satisfied with it, but I'm like proud of how far I've come. Right. But right. to go from where I am now to where I want to be in, you know, another 10 years, I'm gonna to have to push through way more boundaries than I have previously. Because going from someone who's who's dropped out and obviously not planning on performing any education to going to you know the number one school in the country and doing well and getting good jobs and like building companies and stuff like that, that's hard. So I'm like proud of what I've done there. But going from someone who's like now in tech with a degree and stuff like that, from that to owning a multi-billion dollar company, it's way harder. And that's still the the path that I need to take, right? So so having that belief is just as important for me now as it was then, right? So it's not like a journey that's over. I'm still challenging myself in a lot of ways because currently it doesn't seem possible to build such valuable things. But again, I'm going to need to prove myself wrong, which I'm a bit more ready for now. (laughs)
0: you mentioned it a little bit about that you want to build some big company about the environmental problem. So maybe tell me a little bit more on that story, like how you came to realize that and what was the environmental problem that you you saw?
1: Yeah, for sure. So I think my ambitions regarding entrepreneurship and business are largely synonymous with my anxiety regarding the climate. Um, Because I've always been kind of paranoid about this. Like even when I was a kid, I was very, I wouldn't even say passionate about the environment. I would say afraid of it because it was like just this big scary looming thing regarding you know
0: <laughs> climate change
1: regarding sea levels rising regarding
0: it's sort of out of our control right yeah Could... it
1: felt very much out of our control and it felt like i don't know don't, i have a very love hate relationship with capitalism because i've definitely reached some <laughs> of the benefits but it's also like horrible for the world in a lot of ways and so kind of i got involved with the with the Greater Victoria Green Team when i was like starting high school maybe 12 or no when do you start high school 14 15 and by the time i was like 17 i was working on one of their boards helping raise a bunch of money for them and that kind of gave me insight into because originally when i was like okay i should start doing things about the things that i care about you know this fear i have of climate change and that kind of thing like it's not something i i can i am helpless to i I can do things to Hmm. to help that and so that's when I started getting involved with the green team and stuff like that. But I was I was working with people who, who dedicated their lives to this and who were in their 40s, 50s doing this. And they were still largely like pulling weeds out of the ground and doing stuff that was like not at the scale where I thought it would be solving climate change. You know, it was very important. It was very good to have those people in my life who were like value driven and obviously not based on money. They were purely based on passion. So that was really great to be around those people. Mm. But it was also like. I still feel like a handful of billionaires could solve climate change you know and like so that's when i decided i wanted to start companies because it's like okay rather than dedicating my life to trying to raise an extra few thousand dollars from grants and like scrape together enough money to do like a weed pulling session or whatever you know the case may be or like a environmental cleanup like if you can just become a billionaire like you you could do so much it's insane you know and obviously the current set of like main people guiding the course of Businesses or guiding businesses in the company, like the main sort of top CEOs you think of, they don't really care about the environment that much, mm. you know. And I think that we definitely need more people at that level who are willing to change that, and more people at that level who really care about things more than growing their company.
0: Mm. How, how did you think about Elon? Because I I would assume that. He's building an electric car company and his mission was to accelerate the advent of clean energy and make sure that there's no fossil fuel burning and there's no gas. And did you think that he is doing a great thing for the environment? and Or did you think that he's just capitalist that's trying to make a lot of money and... and... Did you read yeah, the-
1: he was originally a huge inspiration for me. He still is in some ways, okay. but initially, so I read his book, the one by Ashley Vance, when I was like pretty early on, and just there were a couple of things about him that really struck me. One, the environment thing, because he's doing something that I think is hugely important, which is taking right. really big climate issues and making them into businesses that are profitable. Which is if we're in a capitalist system, and we are, you know, a lot of people would rather switch the system than make a business that can work with it. But Elon was like making profitable companies or at the time it wasn't profitable but hopefully in the future profitable companies that were good for the environment so that had a huge impact on me seeing that he would do that now i think he's perhaps strayed a little bit away from that i think he is very into being a social media figure and just general famous billionaire so he's perhaps strayed a little farther away because i think he could be doing a lot more for the climate but still that initial sort of boost in seeing What you can do and still make money and still be a very wealthy person while helping the environment, that they're not mutually exclusive, like you don't have to be like doing detrimental things for the world in order to make good companies. And so that was really important. And also, like he was important in my life just because he was aiming for a lot bigger things than a lot of founders are. Yes. You know, like he wants to go to Mars and he wants to convert the whole world to electric cars, which are very big missions. And a lot of the entrepreneurs you see now want to make the next Twitter or the next social media or like mm. whatever. They want to do something that's like, cool, it's fun. They want to make, you know, VR, whatever. But it's not like we want to go to another planet. And so that level of ambition kind of set a high bar for me too. Mm. But I've mixed feelings about it now because of, you know, recent controversies yeah. and such. Yes.
0: Yes. And I guess after you know being a part of that organization, you sort of give your life a trajectory. This is what I'm assuming, because I would imagine that you w- you would want to have enough capital to be influential enough to, at one day, contribute to the betterment of the environment. And to reach that point, you need to create company to 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 have that amount of resources and capital. Tell me if I'm wrong or if that's what you're assuming. No, that's
1: absolutely right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. And, and what, what, what was your action immediately after, after that, when you realized that?
1: Well, I was then I figured out, okay, I need to learn how to make a company.
0: <laughs> Just, <laughs> like really hard, right?
1: Yeah. And so when you're a founder, you need to have a huge array of skills to pull from. Right. And the more you can develop these skills, the more you can pull from. Like, the more you know about random stuff like taxes, the better you're going to be as an entrepreneur. That's not to Mm. say you can't be a really good entrepreneur knowing nothing about taxes, but like, the more you know about that, the better off you are. The more you know about, you know, public speaking, learning to, like evaluate ideas or process thoughts critically and actually think about things analytically or to be able to speak well or to be able to, to motivate people to build something or to be able to, to work with difficult people and pull people in. Like there's all of these sort of intrinsic skills that you need as a founder that like they all develop in different ways separately, but they also come in, that you develop them most quickly if you're building companies. So the first thing I wanted sure. to do was start a company as quickly as possible. In high school, I was like, okay, I'll just start a company. But then I realized I did not have any any ability to do that. Like, I couldn't really write code. I couldn't really, like, think, like, what do you do when you start a company? You have an idea. What do you do with it? Like, okay, this is a company now. And so yeah. that took me a while to figure out. So I was like, okay, before jumping in and building a company, because that's going to be the fastest way to learn that, I need to learn some of the fundamentals. So I read a whole bunch of books. By a whole bunch of founders and investors and people in business and people in whatever industries so that i could get like the on paper education done and then i wanted to get quite good at coding so i spent a lot of time doing that which is why i enrolled in computer science because i think a lot of good founders come out of computer science backgrounds if you just look up you know top leaders of companies a lot of them come from cs backgrounds and i thought it would be mm-hmm. good to have so that's why i went into computer science and then i sort of was like okay the next thing i'm going to need to do is to put together a team because you know, I'm not going to be able to to do it by myself. And obviously having good co-founders is absolutely essential to building any good company. And so I, I was like, OK, I'll move to Toronto. I'll just meet as many people as possible who are like as talented as I can find or like I'll meet the best engineers I can find. I'll meet the best designers. I'll meet the best you know people who are good with with selling businesses, stuff like that. And so I did that for a few years. And then after I had sort of those fundamental pillars in place where I was like, okay, I'm ready to start something, it was really just finding the right opportunity to start something. You know, it was like, what is a problem that I'm passionate about that I have the sort of background knowledge to understand the underlying issues? And like I wanted to start a company in an industry that I knew because like when you're starting your first company, you don't want to have to be learning another problem set domain as well as learning how to start a company, like it makes it much more difficult. So I started with sneakers. I guess I haven't actually talked about what my company does. Basically I run a company that's like a a financial hub for the secondary sneaker market. So right now we're like the the leading price aggregator for secondary sneakers. So Air Jordan, ZZ, stuff like that. There's over a hundred sites selling them. They all have different prices. We centralize all the prices into one place that's like offering number one. And now we've been funded to do sort of our next round of innovations, which is going to allow like quantitative price prediction for sneakers in the future. So you have a pair of Air Jordan ones, how much is it going to be worth in a few weeks? Is it going to go up in value, down in value? Should you buy, hold, sell? And with that technology, we can like build portfolios for people, build risk models, build all kinds of cool stuff. So that's what we're doing now. Um, And I started that largely because the sneaker industry is growing very fast. It's growing at like 70% a year almost. It's worth $10 now. It's going to be worth $30 in a handful of years. And the technology is super outdated. It was like, I've been a sneakerhead for many years. I know how annoying it is to be a sneakerhead, how many problems there are. And it was just really, it was the first idea that really struck me that like, why hasn't anyone done this? So when I thought about sort of the business model for Sanctuary, I was like, why doesn't this exist? And I looked it up. I was like, this has to have been created, but it wasn't. It wasn't there. And so I had that like, duh, I should do this. (laughs) <laughs> kind of realization and then I had obviously the people in place that I wanted to start the company with and I had the, sort of the underlying knowledge of like how do I start a company in place as well because I'd spent the past few years learning that and so I just put that together and started the company and that was that
0: so after the story of coming to that realization so all the way from high school until you started your company finding the resources needed and finding the talents of people to be on your team that was your goal in that period of time
1: yeah, pretty much. it was like when you're in high school, it's very hard to start a company. You have very limited resources, you have very limited freedom. your schedule is filled up by like school and homework and all of these other high school tasks. It took me a long time to sort of realize that I needed to divide my life in a very deliberate way to start companies. Mm. So when I was in high school, I was like, I just don't have time to do this right now. like I'll learn about how to do it and I'll put the steps in place. Obviously looking back, it was high school I had time, but yeah. it took me a while to realize that. So yeah, like it was it was building foundational skills for a couple of years, building that sort of confidence within myself to start a company so that right. when I started it, I had a couple of things out of the way that I didn't have to learn the hard way.
0: Okay. How did you find your co-founders? Did you pitch them the idea or you, you told them, "Let's be co-founder, let's brainstorm some idea together." How did that came about?
1: Yeah, so they were all like pretty unique relationships. The first person I, I brought on was Jason, who's our chief technology officer. Jason, that project I mentioned earlier when I was in high school that I built that got me a scholarship to U of T, I right. built that with Jason. So when I went into, I think it was like advanced programming 12, one of our like I don't know, computer science courses that I was able to take at school. Jason was actually taking the same course, and he was two or three younger, years younger than me. So he had already had a very good knowledge of computer science. Wow. <laughs> I, in we, the same
0: <laughs> class. He's two years younger than you. I
1: know. I know. <laughs> it's funny. And I've had a really hard time getting into that class and, and okay. like doing well in that class. And he was so smart. And because I had been reading all of these books on building companies, like one of the things I had read was like just find the smartest people in the room and talk to them. And that was Jason. Like right away, we had like I remember the first class. We had this thing where we had like a bucket of things, and it was like okay, sort these things. And it was just everyone was doing it manually by hand, like tinkering stuff apart. And Jason literally was doing it algorithmically, and I could see it like he was doing it like <laughs> with his true. eyes closed because he knew the the pattern to do it. And I was like, how do you do that? And he's like, well, it's a sorting algorithm. I was like, what's a sorting algorithm? And he was so smart and he was so way ahead (laughs) of the curve. And so I was like, okay, let's like do a project together or something. And so we built that first one together and that's how we got to know each other. So when I started Sanctuary, I was like, okay, number one, I could take advantage of him." because he's two years younger, so he doesn't have an internship yet. Like, he was in high school still. So I was like, okay. He was still in high
0: school. Holy shit. Yeah. Yeah. So
1: he was like, he wasn't even 18. We couldn't get him on the incorporation documents, because he was 16 (laughs) or 17. It was crazy. And because of that, he didn't have, like, an internship that summer or whatever, and it was, like, the beginning of the summer. So I was like, what are you doing this summer? He's like, nothing. I was like, do you want to start a company? And he's like, yeah. So that was awesome. So that's how I got him on board.
0: It's the first person that you got on board.
1: Yeah. And so our our head of...
0: The the, the the idea wasn't for me. You just told him, let's do a business together.
1: No, no, no. I had the idea and I pitched okay. him on the idea. And okay, I was okay. like, cause he's a sneakerhead as well. He's kind of like aware of the fashion industry and stuff. And so okay. the idea kind of clicked with him and he's also just a brilliant person. So he's like, yeah, like we should start a company. Like why not? It's going to be a great okay. experience. Um, He started university early and stuff like that. Like he's, I don't know, he's he's crazy talented. And then one of the other founders, Rain, he's now our head of design. He comes from like a very non-traditional computer science background. So he was like starting largely from scratch. He didn't know a lot of stuff about like how to code. He had just taken the introductory like first year courses, but I had seen the work he had done visually. Like he's a filmmaker and a photographer and the work he had done there was so impressive. And he was like clearly just very good at that. And he was very driven and he was very fun to be around and like just kind of the person I wanted to start a company with. So I reached out to him as well. And because he was a good friend of mine. And I was like, and he's like very much into fashion as well. And so he's like, yeah, let's do it. Like, why not? I'll learn how to code better this way. And so he came on pretty quickly because he was like, I'll just build the front end out and design things. And like, I want to learn how to do this stuff anyway. So we can just build a company, see where it goes. And yeah. so he was co-founder number two. And then the third one, who's not at our company anymore, but we're still a good friends, was a friend named Avery, who is, I don't know how to describe Avery. He's a very bizarre, eccentric person. <laughs> like he he's, he started another company like he was one of the very early engineers. He came up with the original idea, I think maybe don't quote me on that okay. for Wombo AI, which is now raised like oh, 6 million. And they're like,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. I know about them. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. So they're doing really, really well. And he was like very early on there. So he actually left Sanctuary for that.
0: Oh, which he, I respect. he's at Wombo now.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's full time at Wombo. I think just like traveling the world, working on AI stuff. But he was super smart. And I remember meeting him in first year and he was TAing second year math classes while we were in first year. And he had like, he had like credits in in a, in a second year math textbook because he had like helped write it or something. And he was so <laughs> you have to, smart. Helped to I write know. the textbook. Yeah, he is like like oh, Avery yeah. King. It was like in the in the textbook, and I was like, this guy's insane. Yeah. So I was like, do you want to you want to build this company with me? And he was like, yeah, okay, I'll do it. And then, and then I brought him on, and that was like the initial team.
0: Did you how did you convince them? Because I, I would imagine to bring on very very talented people, you would need to you know either sell yourself really hard or sell the idea or sell the vision. And that was very, very difficult to do because to attract talent, you need to have the best team or best resources. How how did you came about that?
1: Yeah. So learning how to sell stuff is huge in entrepreneurship, right? Obviously it's like a very important thing to be able to sell yourself, your company, your team, your idea, Mm -hmm. your vision. You need to be able to market things to people. So it was a combination of those things. Mostly I had known all of them before Mm -hmm. and they knew this was something I wanted to do because basically everyone I meet knows that this is kind of what I'm about. So When I I hit them up about it, they knew it wasn't because I was just like, had nothing to do and wanted to build something. It was because it was something I really believed in and I wouldn't spend my time on it otherwise. So it was like having a good reputation with the people you might want to be recruiting is good. And if you can know them beforehand and you should be presenting to people as the kind of person who they would want to start a company with, then it can help a lot of the time that way. Because I know a lot of people right now who I would start a company with in a heartbeat. I don't Mm. really care what their idea was, but if they came to me and were like, you know, obviously if I wasn't doing sanctuary, but they're just the kind of person where they were like, if they hit me up, I'd be like, yeah, let's do it because I trust them that way. So that was big. Also having an idea that was good and sort of putting together, getting it set in your head before you go and reach out to them. So like before I I reached out to them about what the, like what the company was, I knew what it was. I knew how we would make money. I knew how we would grow. I knew that we had a good idea on our hands. And so if you can see it in your head such that it's so obvious that this should be a company that's built. And if you don't build it, someone else will. So you may as well do it yourself. Like right. if you can get to that point with a company where you're like, this is such a good idea. It sells itself. I just need to put it in front of them. Right. And you can come at it with that energy. Like it's, it's very motivational to people. And basically they'll feel like an idiot if they don't do it. And it helped that we were all in school. We were all young. Like I wasn't recruiting people like poaching them from other firms and stuff like that, because then they would have to give up a very significant amount in order for yep them to join the company but yeah. because we were in school initially it was just a summer right okay and it was like the summer after our like first year in university or maybe our second year i don't know but none of us had like that important things going on
0: right. so it was
1: like it was also good to to be recruiting people who were like not sacrificing their whole life for this company on this like wild bet it was like we'll do it for the summer okay. and if we really don't like it by the end of the summer we don't think it's going to work we can just yeah. stop uh-huh. And at that point we've incorporated a company and we've built out the first building blocks of a, you know, a brand new company. So it's like, you're going to have gained a lot regardless of how it goes. Mm.
0: Right.
1: So that was helpful as well.
0: Okay. And what happened in the summer? Did you, I would assume you guys already continued. So you guys had a good time. So tell me more about, you know, what happened in the summer, the early days of sanctuary.
1: Yeah. So we started at, I guess it was like beginning, middle of the summer. And we had like another two months before school started. And so, I was working, I was a lead data scientist at this other company at the time, but I dedicated a lot of my time to Sanctuary that summer. I was working quite a lot. That's when I first started to realize like how much you can work if you like something. But also we all kind of just went ham on it. Like we all were just like very active, talking every day, talking basically all the time through the morning and night. And we worked really hard. We were like, we want to ship our first MVP in like September. And so we were like, okay, what do we need to do to make this happen? And so it was really fun because we had a lot of initial questions to answer and we were very like new to everything. So we were like, I remember literally Googling how to incorporate a company. And then it was like finding resources (laughs) on that or like, how do you pay someone? How do you make money off of a company? Like all this, like, like not that general, but like starting from scratch, building a lot of things was super fun, building it with a good team. Like we all really liked working together. So we would enjoy having calls together. And a lot of the times we'd schedule a call for an hour. And if we could get it done in 30 minutes, we'd just like bullshit for another half hour just because like we liked to oh. to with each other. So that was like a really good environment. It was a really fun summer. Obviously school started, everyone goes back to school. That's when things like slow down for a bit until like the next summer. But yeah, the first summer was really instrumental. Like you want to hit the ground running with the startup, right? Like It's important to have a a team that's tightly knit. A lot of companies I see started by young people, because I guess this podcast is is geared towards people our age, because people are either in school or working or not prepared to give up their full-time job to start a company, which is reasonable. Like I haven't done that yet. I will at some point, but I haven't yet because I haven't had to. What they'll do, instead of bringing on a tight-knit group of people who are really passionate about it, they'll try and bring on a lot of people because Mm. they're like, more people means we can move faster, which means... Mm. Like we can have less people or we can have more people doing less time. So it'll be the same time as having less people doing more time, but it doesn't actually work like that. Right. If you have a bunch of people who are halfway in on a company, like it's it does, two people halfway in on a company is not equal to one person all the way in. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like, oftentimes the more people you throw at a problem, the longer it'll take. And so if you recruit too many people, Number one, you should be really strict on the people you work with. Like you want to work with the right people because even one person who's like not aligned with the team can shut the whole thing down. There are a million ways a startup can fail and that's a very, very common one is for the team to fall apart. So Mm -hmm. be very deliberate in the way you build a team, but also be... Like it's worth it to go slower to not have so many people on the team, because if you have like a team of people in like a big like Slack or Discord Channel, I've been at startups like this, where it's yep. a bunch of people who are like aware of what's going on, but they're not working that actively. It makes it a lot harder to monitor what people are actually doing, which means yep. people can coast and kind of just kind of like hope that the company does well and hold on to their equity or whatever. But it also means you spend a lot of time syncing with people. And it adds all of this like operational overhead. And all of these meetings you have with people, all of these right. conversations you have, all of these thinking and aligning and weekly whatever's that you don't yeah. need to have if you have a small team. So I'd say keep your team as small as possible when you can and do the most, get the, the, the least amount of people doing the most amount of work.
0: Mm. Nice. And I want to know, because you talked about you guys really had a good time at the summer. When, what, when did you realize like, oh, shit, I can actually make this big. I can, you know, actually make this happen. This is a real company. Is there a moment like that? Yeah, it
1: was a series of Like, we're still having those realizations, right? Where it's okay. like, we'll make sales. And it's like, oh, shit, someone spent $12,000 on our website this month. Stuff like <laughs> that. Where it's like, it kind of hits you. Like, people really use this, right? But the, the the sort of first time that we really realized it wasn't actually that summer, probably. I remember we released in September. But when we released, we were only aggregating prices for Air Jordans. And we only had a couple sites. It was really a minimum viable product. Okay. but. We, we did like a bigger launch, I guess, by like December of that year. And I think it was January 1st of like 2021 or something where our sort of like head of operations released a TikTok that got like, I don't know, like 15,000 views or something. Okay. Not a huge amount, but it was that day that our site crashed first off because we had too much traffic. And that was like <laughs> the first time I, I was out at a bar. Um and I was out with my co-founder or one of my co-founders, and he was like, yeah. "The site's down. Like, we have too many people on it." It Wasn't that many people? It was like maybe a thousand people, but it's yeah. still like a, we just weren't built to scale to that, I guess. Yeah. And so that was cool seeing that our site crashed and people were messaging us like, "Why is the site down?" It's like because there's so many people. And, and you're so actually happy nice.
0: that your yeah. site is down. <laughs> yeah,
1: and then seeing our other founder immediately at like midnight just get up and fix the site in like an hour, I was like, "That's awesome." Cause he like, we like had this chaotic week where we had to restructure the whole site, yeah. but seeing that, and then also seeing the feedback on that,
0: yeah.
1: where like everyone who commented on the video, we got like, I don't maybe two dozen comments of people like, this is really a great idea. Like, why doesn't this exist yet? You know, like very, very right. positive comments, basically telling us to keep going. Right. And that was like the first sort of external feedback we had gotten. And it was so immensely positive that the combination of those two things was kind of like, we can do this and like, we made mm. this work.
0: Nice. Yeah. Well, to contrast to that, everyone knows startup is hard. Is there a moment that you you thought about giving it up or it's really tough, or like the hardest part of building a startup? Can you remember like a story or a time like that?
1: I mean, there's a lot of them. Like it's yeah. fun. Building startups is like the most rewarding thing you can do, but it also is awful. Like yeah. It takes a horrific toll on your mental health and it's exhausting. Right. And right. like I would say the hardest part about building a startup early stage, it dep- it changes with each like each startup is going to have its own challenges. Each stage of a startup is going to have its own challenges before right. you've reached a point where you're having explosive growth. It's the fact that you're doing it and you're not getting any recognition for the work you put in, mm. you know, if, cause you're used to, especially if you're young, you're used to school where if you put the work in, then you can get a good grade and that's immediate validation or very quick validation to like, you did a good job. Here is your mark. But with a young company, you can do a lot of things right and no one will ever know right? And you can put in hundreds of hours of work. You can make all kinds of sacrifices. And again, no one will ever know. And like the only feedback you'll get on it is like someone will message you and be like, hey, the site's down. I'm like, I know. (laughs) (laughs) Something like that. Where it's like, it can be, you need to be able to be rewarded by yourself. You know, you need to be able to have your own values and to to feel good about things for the sake of you know, building something. And you need to be able to go without that external validation that normally comes from things like school or jobs or social media or whatever. You need to be able to find that intrinsic motivation to keep going without necessarily the feedback of a lot of people telling you like every time you achieve something like great work. Mm Yeah. Like it's good to have that because you want to validate your product, right? You want to make sure that people want it. But at the same time, if you're a young company, like there's not going to be people saying thank you at every step of the way.
0: Yeah. Just, just keep doing it, and, and, and you know, telling yourself this is gonna work. And and, uh, and I know you do some uh, powerlifting, and is that a way that help you to release some of the stress? Of doing Absolutely. Yeah?
1: yeah, I think it's huge. I think that like weight training or strength training or some kind of vigorous activity goes really well with entrepreneurship mm. because it's something that's like so purely <laughs> mental with yeah. something that is so purely physical, mm. you know. And it's good for you in so many ways. Like it has ripple and carryover effects, like. The things you learn in lifting, it sounds weird, but they really do apply to building companies as well. So there's like carryover in that sense, because you'll learn these like weird lessons, like basically the principles of of hypertrophy and getting stronger over time can carry over weirdly to other aspects of life. And it's also something that I just love doing. So I think like if you have other things other than building companies that you love doing that are good for you, you Uh should probably do them because they'll make you a better performer overall. But I think it's really good to stay healthy physically. Um, right.
0: Yeah. When, uh, when did you get started, get started the weightlifting? And uh, is that the same time around, like when you started a startup and no, how did you I, keep, keep doing it?
1: Yeah. Uh, so that, that's a, another different story. I was very like sickly as a child, We're not sickly. I was just very like unathletic and incre- Like I didn't play any sports really. Oh. And I actually had, I literally at one point in my life had an allergy to exercise. This was, <laughs> no, this was wait, I no. I'm not joking. This... I'm not joking. I went to what, what is an allergy doctor? What do you call it? I have no idea. But I was out for a run one time because I didn't run often. And I had like an allergic reaction. I like blew up in hives. Um, (laughs) I went to to an allergist and they were like, okay, we're going to test you for an allergy exercise. Like it can happen. It's very rare. And so they literally just got me to run up and down stairs and I had an anaphylactic reaction to it. I'm not joking. And so I couldn't do exercise. That's crazy. That's the first time I I've know. heard of that. It man. was insane. I had like a note in PE and they were like, you are full of shit. I'm like, no. <laughs> this is so real. It. And so I was like, what am I going to do? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so I started kind of lifting because it was the most controlled way for me to do exercise. And okay. I could do it without like... Dying, and so the 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 primary principle of either bodybuilding or powerlifting is progressive overload, which is like very gradually getting stronger over time. So Mm -hmm. I kind of desensitized myself, and eventually I got over the allergy. Thank God. Okay. But basically, I started lifting because it was the only way I could actually move, and I thought maybe I could build up a tolerance to the allergy or whatever, which Mm -hmm. I guess I did. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Looking back, it was super weird. I don't know how I wasn't more panicked about that, but. Mm -hmm. That's kind of how I got into lifting. And so it, there was no set point. It was like, oh, I can just do whatever I want now. Now I can. Like yeah. I'm obviously exercising like a normal human being. I'm in yeah, good shape. Yeah. But it really helped with that. Like it yeah. was basically to get over this allergy. And then at some point I was like, I'm just really tired of being unathletic and tiny. Right, right. And we so cool. change that as well.
0: Nice, nice. And what was your relationship with, with exercise or weightlifting now? Because I, I I saw you last time and we were, we were at the party and then everyone was like drinking, talking to each other but you snuck into <laughs> someone else's gym and started lifting. I was like, oh, I, I know, you know, Eric, Eric, is <laughs> serious about this. You know, what was your relationship with, with weightlifting now?
1: Yeah, so I'm pretty ambitious in everything I do. I want to be a competitive powerlifter. I have a back injury now, so we'll see how oh, that sure. goes and that heals. Okay. But now, like, it's pretty serious. It's a pretty big outlet for me, especially because it's completely separate from anything career-wise or entrepreneurship-wise, right? right? Like, there is... There is a correlation because if you're more stressed and more work, you're not going to be able to train as much. But in terms of like failures in the gym, they're not really related to your failures at work. Right. And so it's good to have like an entirely separate <laughs> course of life, or even the people I yeah. know in the gym, like I know a lot of people in my gym who will talk to you when I'm there. They don't mm. know what I do outside of the gym. It's, oh, okay. So it's good okay. to have something where you can totally like unplug. It's and a just sanctuary for else.
0: you. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's like
1: super nice for your mental health. So I take it pretty seriously. Like I train between four and six times a week for like, Either one to sometimes up to three hours, depending on my day, but yeah, I would say generally I want to do it not necessarily professionally but more than just recreationally.
0: okay, taking yeah. it serious and okay, tell me tell me more about you know what's the future look like for you both for sanctuary and and, and you as a person career wise
1: yeah, so that's a really good question it's a really interesting time for me yeah. right now because because I am full time at a firm, my internship ends this week, actually it's the last week of my internship. And then I'll be four months, I'm moving to London, and then I'll be going to Queen Mary's University of London to do my last semester of school. And then after January, I can basically do whatever I want. So I am deciding between taking Sanctuary full-time or going into a new grad position at some tech company. And those are kind of the two big options. So right now, I don't know which one I'm going to do. Like, I'm talking to a few companies and then seeing if maybe we should do a seed round before I take Sanctuary full-time or, like, how I should balance those things. But basically, I would say, like, high-level overview. I'll probably be working for a couple more years and then going full-time on my own company, be it sanctuary or whatever else I'm working on at that point. Hopefully, things will go at sanctuary. But, you know, entrepreneurship, who knows? And then I'm just going to build companies for the rest of my life. Like, that's really what I plan on doing. I plan on making good companies. I plan on making companies that make a lot of money. If I don't, I'll just keep making them. (laughs) And eventually, I want to be able to to work in in climate and the environment. I think it's kind of silly of me. Like one of the big mistakes I made early on was not just creating a climate or creating a company that has to do with the environment right off mm. the bat. Because mm. I figured like, oh, they're not going to be profitable. I don't really hold that view anymore. Like I right. think that there's definitely a lot of ways that you can make a climate oriented company without being like a nonprofit or like a like a charitable organization. All and right. I think if I start another venture now for Sanctuary, when I do, it will be based on that. So I think working on something related to the environment will be my next company. And then before then, if I am full time at Sanctuary or full time new grad at some other startup or company it is to be determined. I don't know.
0: Okay, that's great, man. And and one last question: Any advice for young and then really ambitious university student Gen Zer who want to start their business?
1: Yeah, just do it. Just just do it and fuck it up. Make mistakes. Like your company is <laughs> gonna fail. That's fine. It's like companies fail. It's not really that big of a deal. I think people overanalyze it a lot more. I think there's a very big culture right now, especially surrounding TikTok and sort of the people who are famous in entrepreneurship of like having this optimal lifestyle and optimal routine. And it's like, wake up and do your like infrared sauna and like do a cold plunge and exercise and meditate wherever and then get to work. So I think number one is just work more. Um, Like like work a lot. You need to have a very high tolerance to work. This is one thing I've taken away from powerlifting is that the more you can build up your your tolerance for work, the better. Like you want to be able to put in a lot of hours without getting burned out. If you can work 10 hours a day, seven days a week or six days a week, it's not necessarily healthy, but it's kind of necessary for starting a good company. And so if you can do that while being healthy mentally, while maintaining good relationships, like you're going to be at a huge advantage to someone who waits until they're really in the midst of where they really have to work that much. And then they get thrown into it and they're like, oh shit, like how do I do this? And then all their relationships fall apart and the company falls apart because of that. You can build up a work tolerance early on, do it, but also just start a company like there's so many books you can read about it. There's so many ways you can learn about starting companies without doing it. None of them are going to be as good or as effective as starting a company because, right. because there are so many things you need to do in order to run a company successfully. You're not actually going to be able to list them out and get those learned properly until you build one. And it's not going to be like, oh, I should learn this. It's going to be like, if I don't learn this right now, my company is going to fail. And then you have to learn. And that's obviously going to be the fastest way. So I would say just like to start a company. It's not that much money to incorporate a business it's not you know just try it just do it <laughs> that's my advice
0: just do it man let's <laughs> go that's 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 your uh sneaker uh sneaker head <laughs> as well yeah i've been brainwashed by nike it's a good it's yeah. a good motto all right thank you so much eric it was yeah. genuinely so great speaking with you and you dropped a lot of wisdom really appreciate you being here man Thank you for listening to this episode of Ideas can Wait podcast. If you have taken something away from this episode and really enjoyed our conversation, it will mean the world to me if you can leave a review on wherever you're listening or watching. It will help this podcast to reach more like-minded people like you. Thanks again, and I'll see you in the next one.